0: Well, hey there everybody, welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I am Brian Jewell, I'm your host, and I am full of excitement that you decided to spend some time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we are going to make that investment of your time worth your while. I'm also really excited to introduce you to the guests in today's featured conversation. Uh, We are going to be talking with Emma Weissman and Jamie Beseda, two young ladies who are travel journalists, and they host a podcast called Trade Secrets that's all about the inner world of travel advisors and travel agents, and they have some fascinating information and ideas to share with us about the role of travel advisors in today's group travel world. I also pick their brains about a lot of the things that they are seeing uh, in terms of travel and trends among millennials and other people in their generation it's a fascinating conversation you won't want to miss that before we get there though let's talk about some travel news you may have missed and this week we've got some big news in the world of air travel delta airlines just announced plans to make in-flight high-speed wi-fi free to all customers on all flights That's right, company CEO Ed Bastain said that Delta has invested more than $1 billion in this initiative. Now, there won't be any limit to the number of devices a passenger connect while in flight. The only requirement, in fact, is that users will have to provide their SkyMiles membership numbers in order to log on to the system. Now, Delta plans to partner with other organizations to help pay for the new feature. So when you log on, you can expect to find some offers or advertisements or things like that from companies such as Starbucks, American Express, uh, maybe some other organizations that work closely with the airline. Now, this change goes into effect on all Wi-Fi enabled aircraft, uh, which is about 80 percent of the Delta fleet. On February 1st, uh, which means in just a couple of weeks, you could get on a Delta flight and probably log on to free Wi-Fi. Now the company has plans to add Wi-Fi service to the rest of its fleet by the end of 2024. So the big question, of course, is will other airlines follow suit? Now, obviously, it is too soon to tell, but it's nice to see airlines competing on an element of service again and not just on price. So we will keep an eye on this, see what happens. And uh, hopefully this means better connections for everybody when we fly in the future. Now it's time for the road tip segment of the show. Now this is a part of each episode where we dig into our history on the road and share some tips that have helped us when traveling and we think will help you have better and more streamlined trips with less hassle. Today's tip is actually about picking out the right piece of luggage for you. You know, a lot of times friends or family members will ask me for advice when they're getting ready to buy luggage. And if they're only casual travelers, I tend to tell them that it doesn't really matter very much what they buy. But if they are frequent business travelers, if they think they're going to be going on the road a lot, or certainly if they work in travel, I tell them that the kind of luggage they buy can actually make a big impact on their travel experience. And so because of that, I encourage those people to buy the best luggage they can afford. And if you work in travel or you do a lot of travel planning or travel leading and you are in the market for a new suitcase, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Now, this means buying high quality pieces of luggage from established luggage makers. It doesn't mean dropping a lot of money to buy a designer bag from a company that has a big name in the fashion world, because those bags actually are usually not very well made. Now, there are several good Luggage companies out there. Uh, I am fond of Travel Pro. I've been using Travel Pro suitcases for well over a decade, but there are others out there as well. Uh, regardless of what brand of luggage you're looking at, you need to know that even within that brand, there are going to be different levels of quality. So, this is where you want to pay some attention to the options that the luggage maker provides. And here's where you want to go for the top level you can afford in that luggage maker's lineup. Now, why do I say that? Well, here are some of the differences you're gonna find in higher quality luggage. Number one is durability. A higher quality, more expensive luggage will last longer. And if you're gonna be traveling a lot, if you're getting in and out of airplanes a lot, in and out of motor coaches, that bag is going all kinds of places, it's gonna get beat up. And if you buy a cheap bag, well, it's likely to get a busted handle, get a busted wheel, get a rip in the side. That's a good way to ruin a trip and it's a good way to waste $100, $150 and have to buy that bag over again. If you buy high quality luggage, it's going to be more durable and less likely to get broken or torn, which means you get more for your money over the long run. Another thing that you will find in higher quality bags is a lot more design and features. You know, bargain basement suitcases are basically just uh, big empty rectangles that you can put stuff in. But higher quality bags tend to have more compartments uh, more smart organizational tools they might have uh, accessories that help you keep nice clothes from getting wrinkled or organize your bag better those features can really come in handy and uh, for me they're worth the money if you can afford them another thing that you're going to get in higher quality luggage is better rolling action what i mean by this is cheap bags tend to have cheap wheels and cheap rolling mechanisms and If you've never used a nice bag, you may not realize how much better a good wheel and a good rolling mechanism is for your suitcase. High quality bags have uh, better wheels that uh, are softer, that have a smoother roll, and it makes it easier to actually move that bag through the airport, down the sidewalk, down a hotel corridor, anywhere you're taking a bag, better rolling action makes it much, much easier. It's easier on you physically. It creates less wear and tear on the bag. And uh, that again is a feature that's definitely worth paying for if you can afford it. Finally, you should think about the warranty that you get when you buy your suitcase. Now a bargain basement piece of luggage may not have a warranty at all, or if it does, it might just have a 90 day warranty, a one year warranty. If you spring for a really nice high quality suitcase, however, there's a good chance that you will get a lifetime warranty. In fact, I just got a suitcase replaced that I bought over 10 years ago that worked well for 10 years. There was a problem with the handle mechanism over the last year or so. Uh, I contacted the company, told them what was going wrong, sent them the old suitcase and believe it or not, they sent me a brand new suitcase free of charge because it came with a lifetime warranty. Now. Are you going to spend more for a bag that has high-quality materials, better wheels, a better warranty? Yeah, you absolutely are. But if you are a frequent traveler, I think you'll find that that money is more than worth it in the long run. That's your road tip of the day. I hope you find it helpful. Uh, Next, I want to share some quick news from us. You know, we always love meeting you, and uh, there are a bunch of opportunities for us to do that this winter and spring, our team is going to be at a bunch of different events in the tourism space. We would love for you to come find us, come see us at our booth, come say hello, come tell us what you think of the magazines or the podcast, share your ideas. That is always so helpful to us. So let me give you a quick rundown of where we're going to be. Uh, we are going to be at the American Bus Association Marketplace, which is in Detroit in early February. You'll find me and the sales team there. We'd love to meet you and say Hi. Uh, later on some of our team is going to be at heartland travel showcase in the cincy region in march at the end of march we're going to have some people at select traveler conference in branson And then in April, a bunch of us are going to be at the Southeast Tourism Society's domestic showcase in Huntsville, Alabama. I'm actually going to be doing a keynote presentation there. I would love to meet you. I would love to hear from you. I would love uh, to pick your brain and answer any questions you have. So look for us wherever you go to travel events. We will have a booth there and we can't wait to meet you in those places. It's about time for us to move into our featured conversation with Emma and Jamie. Before we do that, though, let me encourage you to stay tuned to the end of the interview, because after that, I have some more thoughts about the role of Wi-Fi in travel, and I'm going to share those in our hot minute segment. You won't want to miss that. We will be right back with Emma Weissman and Jamie Beseda. All right, everybody. My guests today are travel journalists and the hosts of the Trade Secrets Podcast, where they interview experts to find answers to some of the most pressing questions in the travel industry today. Jamie Beseda is a senior editor at Travel Weekly, where she covers news relating to travel advisors and agencies. And Emma Weissman is the managing editor of Travel Age West, where she works on a wide range of travel features and news articles. Jamie and Emma, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey,
2: Brian. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Excited to be here.
0: I'm always excited to talk to fellow travel journalists for a bunch of reasons. One of them is that honestly, it would surprise people to know that there's not that many of us who are like actually like full time working in the travel trade. So it's kind of a, a, a small uh, community and, and always good to talk to you guys. I'd love for you to share with our readers how you got in to travel. Jamie, I know that you were in community journalism. For a while, so tell us about your road from you know smallish publications in New Jersey to you know being a, an editor at this uh, very well respected national travel uh, publication.
2: Yeah, it was. Um, I like to call it a happy accident. Uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, I was in community news. I started as a reporter at our local weekly paper in town, and I ended up the editor of that news organization. Um, and you know, I've been doing that. I've been with them for a number of years. That was like my first company out of college. Um, and things just got a little stale after a while. And I decided it was time to move on. So I took a little time to myself. I spent uh, I spent a summer doing a little bit of freelance. I called it my fun employment summer. Um, and when I started looking around, I happened I stumbled upon a job posting from Travel Weekly. And I had never really given much thought to the travel industry besides, you know, travel is something I enjoy to do. But as an industry, it had never really come across my path before. But I went to the interview and I said, oh, my God, is this job for real? Yeah. Um, and I got the job and I've been with them ever since.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's crazy how many people I meet in travel that had no idea that they can make a career in it. And, uh, and then once they get in, they are in for life, like there's, there's no getting out. So if you had plans to do something else, I'm sorry to tell you, you're probably, you're probably stuck with us for the rest of your career. Uh, Emma, it maybe is not such a surprise that you got into travel. Tell people who don't know you about uh, your background and how this path kind of emerged as your career.
1: Sure. Well, I'm going to steal Jamie's words and say it was also a happy accident because I was actually born into it. My family has been in the travel industry for almost, I going to say... 35 years, maybe. So, um, my parents started a travel textbook company in the eighties called Weissman travel reports that is now called travel 42, but it does still exist. And it was a subscription service for travel advisors who were looking for information on destinations all across the world. This was pre-internet. So Mm -hmm. travel advisors would get physical textbooks that had this information on every country. Um, Now my dad is still in the travel industry. He's actually at Travel Weekly, Arnie Weissman. And I grew up, all my spring breaks, my summer vacations were traveling with him, going on Mm -hmm. press trips with other travel journalists or going on fam trips with travel advisors. So I, I don't know if destiny is the right word for it, but it was a happy accident. But now it is my destiny to kind of follow in those footsteps and Uh, Here I am. I actually started at Travel H. West the same time that Jamie started at Travel Weekly, I think the same month even back in 2015. So, yeah, we've been both doing this for about seven and a half years now.
0: So you mentioned uh, travel advisors and uh, that's an area that you both cover and uh, your podcast, Trait Secrets, is very much focused on travel advisors and some of their questions and the issues they face Jamie, I'd love for you to speak to people who have maybe been hearing in pop culture for, I don't know, 20 years now that uh, the travel agency is dead. Because, you know, I hear thought leaders, even people as, as well known and respected as like Seth Godin out there giving talks about, you know, what killed the travel agency. Obviously, that can't be completely true or, or the two of you wouldn't have jobs. So. Give us the story that people don't know about travel agents, travel advisors, and sort of the state of their industry right now.
2: Uh, We hear this all the time uh, that, you know, oh, travel agents, they still exist. But in fact, they do. And, you know, I think the whole idea that the travel agent is dead stems from the onslaught of the internet. I mean, you know, when the internet came into prevalence, you know, more people had access. It kind of democratized access to travel through online travel agencies like Expedia and Booking.com. And a lot of people thought that that really was going to be the death knell for travel advisors. But Mm. it turns out. Out, it really wasn't um they are still it's such a vibrant community and now more than ever Ever, I think because of the pandemic, especially, but this was also a trend that we saw pre pandemic. People want to connect with another person who is an expert in a destination. I heard I, I, someone said this the other day that millennials are experts in finding experts. Mm. <laughs> I think that's so true. And it's almost a case of that, that people just, and not just millennials, um, all generations, they want to work with people who know what they're talking about, who know destinations, who know the right suppliers, the right hotels. The tour companies that, you, that are going to give you a really great experience, they match you with the suppliers that are going to meet your expectations as a traveler. Because let's be real, every traveler wants something different out of their mm. trip. And people really are, in a big way, going back to travel agents and asking for their help and planning, you know, what are some of the most important experiences of their life?
0: Mm. So it's like the more important and significant the travel experience is the more likely people are to search for that outside expert to help them.
2: I think so. But, you know, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that a lot of consumers form like lifelong relationships with their travel advisors. One thing that I'm hearing more and more from advisors is their clients are interested in long term travel planning. Hmm. And we're not talking in like a trip from a year from now, but they're like sitting down and saying, these are the destinations that I want to visit essentially in my life. And, mm. you know, how can we best plan, you know, what year am I going to go to Egypt? What year am I going to go on safari in Africa? And they're really interested in that kind of thing as well. And it's, you know, the relationship with a travel advisor now is akin to a relationship with a financial advisor and that, you know, they're, they're close, they're professionals, you know, they mm. work with you on your travel life.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So Emma, uh, what are today's travel advisors, best at? What are they doing that's offering the most value to their customers?
1: That's a great question. And I think to answer it properly, you have to look at what they were back Mm. uh, in the day. So before they were really like ticketing agents, the the Mm. original travel advisors, they were writing tickets out by hand. They were kind of just booking things for people. Now travel advisors are more like travel designers. They have Mm. concierge services. They can do things like expedite a passport for their clients. They can, in some cases, there's one agency that submits paperwork for dual citizenship. If if people are going back and forth and they have heritage in a certain country, they do events, they charter planes, they get you upgrades and amenities you wouldn't be able to get if you're booking directly. And just to go off Jamie's point, I think when the internet came about, travel advisors didn't go away, but you don't see them as much because they might've had a storefront, but with the internet, you can be a travel advisor at home. So Mm. for everyone who thinks that travel advisors are dead, I I did some digging into exactly how many there are in the US. And at the last count, there are nearly 15,000 retail locations that employ about 108,000 people. So those are your full-time employee travel advisors. But in addition to that, there are about 60,000 self-employed independent contractors. So you do the math, it's about 160,000 people that we're talking about spread out across the U.S. You might not see them in the traditional sense, but they're there.
0: Yeah. So I'd love to dig into that a little bit more because uh, there is a lot of overlap in the travel industry and it can be sort of confusing especially for people that you know don't work in it every day like we do to know exactly who's who. So there's the tour operator, there's the travel agent, sometimes there's the the group leader who is you know is the leader of a preformed affinity group that's in charge of planning travel but they aren't necessarily you know writing all the contracts and making all the purchases. Uh, some people that uh, lead groups also Act as travel agents. So can you kind of give us, uh, Emma, a little bit of a, a definition, a lay of the land, like what separates a travel advisor from a tour operator? Let's start there and then we can kind of disambiguate.
1: Yeah. And admittedly, the lines are a little bit blurry because some travel advisors or travel agencies call themselves tour operators and vice Mm. versa. So I can see the confusion because there are some interchangeable, you know, the terms there can be a little bit interchangeable. But in my opinion, a travel advisor works with a tour operator. So they're going to be working with that supplier. They're not necessarily planning the itineraries. Those are set by the tour operator who's Mm -hmm. actually on the ground and operating these tours. And the travel advisor is the bridge between that company, that operator, and the consumer. And that operator will be paying commission to the travel advisor for bringing their clients to that operator. But the travel advisor might not be the one who is actually fleshing out these itineraries or handling the programming per se. And I don't know, Jamie, maybe you can expand on that a little bit, but there is a little bit of confusion because sometimes the travel advisors do actually host these groups, like you said, and and they're on the ground. So I can see the confusion there, but that's my general differentiation between the two.
2: Emma, I think what you said thinking about the travel advisor as the bridge between the traveler and these travel suppliers, I think that's the perfect analogy. I was gonna use them I was gonna say that they were more like your your guide through all of this. But yeah, they're the they're the one that you're gonna work with that's gonna pick the right suppliers for you and they're gonna help you kind of navigate all of that and get you where you're going and all of that. They're they're your guide, they're your bridge, they're your your go to person.
1: Yeah. And one thing too is that The travel advisor, maybe this destination, let's say you're going to Peru, that's one of a few destinations in South America that they specialize in, but they're going to do some digging and some research on all of the tour operators in that destination to find the one that is just right for their client. So if you're just going with a tour operator, you see their portfolios, their itineraries, and you can pick from those tours. If you're working with a travel advisor, they might have relationships with five different tour operators in Peru and can really find the best one for the specific needs of that client.
0: So a lot of our listeners and readers are those affinity group leaders uh, in a preformed group in their communities. Uh, when they take domestic trips, especially if it's, say, two or three states away from where they are, many of them are used to chartering a motor coach themselves, uh, reaching out to the visitors bureau and the place they're going or reaching out to hotel contacts they know there you know, basically writing their own group hotel, uh, writing their own itinerary, doing it all themselves. And I feel like that's eminently doable for a trip of a certain length with a, you know, medium uh, complexity. Tell us where a travel advisor really comes in handy, uh, Jamie, for a group, and especially if they're trying to do something that's a little bit more ambitious.
2: Well, I think the idea that you could hand off all of the thorny parts of that group to somebody else who basically lives and breathes it every day would be a huge help. But I think too... A travel advisor would bring a different perspective to the table and might bring up some options that a tour leader didn't know existed. For instance, you know, have they ever thought of chartering a cruise ship? Because there are cruise ships for groups of all sizes, small Mm. to extremely large. And, you know, a travel advisor could put those options on the table. But they're also going to help when things go wrong. They're going to help problem solve on the fly, before, after. And I think that they would be a real asset to a group leader.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's key. So, uh, Emma, how do I as a group leader go about finding that travel advisor if I don't already have them in my local network, in my community, in my affinity group? If they're not already there, how do I find them? How do I qualify them? And how do I make sure that they have expertise in the area of group travel?
1: One of my favorite resources for finding a travel advisor is TravelSense.org. And that website is run by ASTA, the American Society of Travel Advisors. And they have a directory of travel advisors who are all ASTA members. And, you know, to be an ASTA member really creates this level of credibility. They're an ASTA verified travel advisor. It means that they had to go through this entire education platform through modules talking about marketing, sales, ethics, legal, insurance. They ha- They know everything that it takes to be a really successful travel advisor. So I would start there first, TravelSense.org.
0: Do I need to look for a different person for every different trip? So if in 23, I want to take my group to Brazil and then in 24, I want to do Japan and 25, you know, we want to do a Baltics cruise. Uh, you know, it would, I would love to have one person I work with, kind of like you were saying, Jamie, about, you know, long-term travel planning, but is that feasible or do I have to find somebody with different expertise for each of those destinations, Jamie?
2: It's feasible, absolutely. Because, you know, one of the important things to keep in mind is travel advisors, even if they themselves might not have been to a very specific destination that you're considering or something like that, they have strong partnerships with people on the ground that are in destination. So that's totally feasible. Um, I mean, it's you know to some degree it depends on the advisor's business model. Um, there are advisors who will only book one particular type of trip or one particular destination. Um, in that case, they're often more than willing to refer you to another advisor. But there are also advisors who will book everything, or they'll specialize. Perhaps I hear this a lot. They specialize in the client and they want to help, you know, you do each of those different trips and they're going to help you plan those trips, you know, long term, short term. And, you know, it just depends on the advisor, but that's totally feasible to have one person that could help with different trips, different destinations, wildly different things.
0: So Emma, the elephant in the room might be how this person gets paid and whether I have to pay them or, um, you know, whether them taking commission from a tour operator or somebody like that is going to substantially raise the price of the, uh, end users experience. So can you speak to that, uh, how these people get paid, whether it's going to cost me as a traveler more? And if so, how do you justify that cost?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this perception that it's more expensive to work with a travel advisor when in fact they save travelers an average of about $450 per vacation. So you're wow. actually it it benefits you. And a lot of people in the millennial age group, which Jamie and I fall in, don't know that. They just mm-hmm. they just aren't informed about it. And a lot of travel advisors, they all have different models on how they make money. Some of them work only on commission and they don't have any additional fees. In that case, sometimes the supplier will have net pricing and the travel advisor can rack it up a little bit to give themselves commission. Sometimes the supplier builds in the commission. Mm -hmm. Um, Other times they have flat fees, consultation fees, or depending on the length of the trip or complexity of the trip, they might have per diem rates. There's all different types of business models out there. But I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that it's more expensive to use a travel advisor.
0: So, uh, Jamie, you mentioned, you know, how the internet sort of upended the old-fashioned model of uh, being ticketing agents, essentially. The pandemic, of course, uh, upended travel in many different ways. As a community, how have travel advisors fared through the pandemic and how are they doing in this, you know, post-pandemic catch up and rebuild and, you know, try to get our heads above water, uh, period?
2: hmm. You know, like like every every group, every industry, every profession, you know, travel advisors obviously did take a hit during the pandemic. Um, you know, we had months there where people really weren't traveling at all. And then the restart has been rather slow in some cases. I mean, even this time last year, we did not have a lot of cruise ships in the water. Mm. Um you know, it, the the recovery has taken some time. And of course, we did lose some travel agencies along the way, unfortunately. But I will say not as many as people predicted. Mm. Um, we did see a lot of mergers and acquisitions, especially with larger agencies, with agencies that maybe had a brick and mortar storefront presence. But essentially, those people are still in the industry. They're still working maybe just under a different banner. I think one of the really interesting stories, though, has been the travel advisors who work as independent contractors contractors um, They're obviously, they employ themselves. They usually work with other travel agencies to sell travel through. But the independent contractor community was really interesting because we're seeing a few different things. Number one, we've seen a lot of new independent contractors come into the industry during the pandemic because people had the time to sit down and say, you know, I really didn't like what I was doing before the pandemic. And what do I like? I like to travel. And then they had the time to take training, to sit through webinars, get certified. So we saw a lot of independent contractors come into the industry. And then at the same time, you know, independent contractors had the flexibility when people really weren't traveling to kind of turn off their travel business for a while Mm -hmm. and do something else. But now they're coming back which is great because travel advisors are more in demand than ever. Uh, you know, 2021 people were traveling again. Um, some travel agencies had their best year ever in 2021. Um, but 2022 is really panning out to be a fantastic year for the agency community. Um, some as early as September had hit travel sales levels equal to 2019. and still had the rest of the year to go. (laughs) And now I'm hearing even more, like as we're getting into, you know, the latter half of November into December, even more agencies are now at or surpassing their best years ever. Um, With that, obviously... Comes the caveat that they're extremely busy right now. Um, every agent that I talk to is, the, there is no shortage of work right now, which is also good that we've brought in some new independent contractors to kind of yeah. spread that work around. But yeah, they're extremely busy now. And all points, all, all things are pointing to a really fantastic 2023 as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I want to press into that a little bit more um, mm-hmm. because it's a really interesting phenomenon to me, given all that we're facing in the economy with inflation. Uh, maybe there's a recession, nobody, you know, people can't agree on whether there's a recession. Uh, There's a land war in Europe, right? I mean, there's all these headwinds. Can you venture any guesses, Jamie, as to why travel agents are so busy now in spite of all those headwinds?
2: I think that at least in part that the traveler has truly, changed their mindset throughout the pandemic i mean sometimes if you take something away from a person that's the thing that they want most in the world Mm. and i think that collectively we all realized how much we value travel when we couldn't have travel Mm. and i think that it has gone from a nice to have to a must have In people's hearts and minds, so to speak, and I think that that's not something that will change. Um, I think that that mentality changes is here to stay, and travel has just become an essential thing to people now. Now that they experience not having it for a while.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful, Uh, Emma. I'd love to hear your thoughts, kind of along those same lines. You've been in uh, travel journalism for seven years. Give us your perspective on what has changed, even in that time since you started. And, um, you know, if you could polish off your crystal ball and and look a few years into the future, where do you think we're headed in light of the changes that you've experienced?
1: Oh, my gosh. It's so hard with the crystal ball questions because I I don't want to be wrong. But I kind of look at, you know, I started in my career in 2015. So that was pre-pandemic travel every single year. It was, it was up and up and up and everything was going really well. The pandemic came and just destroyed everything. It was, it depressed the entire industry. And now as we're coming back, we're facing different problems than we did before the pandemic, mainly that I think was the catalyst for these changes. Um, there, the airline cancellation and delays that we experienced within the past year, and it's still happening The airports were just overwhelmed, and they maybe didn't have the employees that they had back in 2019 who were well trained, and and the number of employees was a lot higher. So, I think we're still having some problems with that. We're still having some problems with service in terms of like hotels having to retrain employees who maybe Mm -hmm. weren't in the hospitality industry. So, that's kind of what we're seeing now. And I didn't see that back when I first started in 2015. Um, And if I could look toward the future, I think. Just in the past couple of years, there's been this push toward responsible travel and really evaluating the companies that you work with and Mm. making sure that they align with your own values, especially with the younger generations, Generation Z, millennials. They don't want to just go to an all inclusive and drink from 50 plastic water bottles, and lie on the beach. They want authentic experiences. They want a hotel that's going to keep sustainability in mind. And that's what they're looking for. And back when I started, it was there, but it wasn't so much on the forefront. So I would say looking ahead, you're just going to see more and more companies moving toward environmentally friendly practices, authentic experiences, cultural experiences, and experiential travel is just going to continue to to blossom.
0: Yeah. So I hear you saying that and I hear a lot from people in your generation kind of saying that there is a demand for that. Have you seen uh, examples of some suppliers actually stepping forward with products and experiences to meet that demand and, and any kind of indication that it's something that actually has legs?
1: Absolutely. There are so many suppliers and it's kind of all across every facet of the industry. So you see hotels that are carbon neutral. They're Mm. making these pledges or by 2035, they're going to be completely carbon neutral and have all of these initiatives putting refillable water stations in, in the hotels. You see it in tours where they're working with the local communities to really have These cultural experiences that aren't so much performative, like you're going to go and sit and watch people entertain you, but you're actually going to interact with the local communities and Mm. make sure that all of the tourism dollars are going back into the local community. So a lot of tour operators are taking that stance now. Um, Cruise lines, there's always kind of a, a debacle with cruise lines and sustainability, but a lot of the lines, I'm seeing it a lot in expedition cruising, but in other parts of the industry as well, are... Trading up their fuel. Uh, I, I wish my cruise editor was on the call because he knows the <laughs> specifics of it. But they're becoming um, more electric and hybrid LNG fuel. Mm-hmm. They're 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 really trying. I think that everybody just knows that this is kind of a priority and it makes good business sense to make these changes.
0: Jamie, same question. Crystal ball, get it out. Peer into it as far as you can. And and knowing what you know about, uh, let's say your peer group. Millennials and maybe you know people a little bit younger Gen Z who are just now getting jobs and having some income to spend on things like travel. Where do you see our industry going as Gen Z comes into you know fruition as professionals with money and where do you see Millennials taking us as they step into leadership roles throughout the travel industry.
2: I think that especially after the pandemic, um, like Emma said, everything is about experiences. Mm. People want more authentic experiences. And I hate to use the word authentic because I think it's so overused. But like Emma mentioned, there are a lot of um, suppliers now that are partnering with locals to give travelers actually – authentic, there it is again, experiences, (laughs) but that's what, that's what they want. And I mean, let's, let's face it, you know, experiences are the reason that we travel. We don't travel to get on a plane. We stay in a hotel because we need a place to sleep, but we want experiences. And I think that is going to continue. I also think that we are going to continue to see an increased desire to work with travel advisors because they are able to find those experiences that are worth doing and that are right for any, for an individual traveler. So I think that's going to continue as well. Um, we're also seeing an indication of that from ASTA, the American Society of Travel Advisors. They've been fielding surveys periodically, and the number of consumers that say that they feel working with an advisor is going to bring value to their personal travel is on the uptick. So Thank I think that's a trend that we're just going to see continue.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, uh, you know, this trend that we've had for 10 or 15 years now, of you know, social media influencers kind of setting the tone for what people do. Uh, I, I think in part, the jig is up and people have sort of seen behind the curtain and realized that, oh, you know, that trip that I see that influencer having on Instagram, uh, that was probably sponsored and it's not a trip that I can take. And it is, you know, um, I, I need to look to a real expert, uh, for, uh, help planning my travel instead of, just Instagram influencers.
1: I totally agree with you that people have pulled the curtain back on Instagram, especially, and they know that it's a highlight reel and that things are, are posed and it's, it's not authentic to use that word again. But I do think that social media is still a huge driver, especially for those younger generations. So they want to know where to go, but they want to know where to go, where other people aren't going. So Mm. I think it's less about oh, there's this pretty site and I want to take a picture. And it's more, oh, this hidden gem in California that you can go see that nobody knows about. And of course it's bringing more people there, but I think that the mindset has shifted, but social media is still a huge driver, especially for those younger generations.
2: Emma, just to tag onto that point, I hear from travel advisors all the time that clients don't respond to like pretty pictures that come from suppliers that are just showing like a beautiful ship, a beautiful room, this or that, but their clients are really and non-clients too are really responding to the photos and videos that they take that are, you know, a little less polished because it just feels more real. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. All right. Well, trade secrets. Uh Emma, tell our listeners where they can find your podcast.
1: So trade secrets, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, um, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. You can find it on travelagewest.com slash podcasts or travelweekly.com slash podcasts. We're dropping new episodes every other week. And like Brian mentioned earlier, it's really a professional development podcast for travel advisors or people who just want to learn how to sell travel better. So go ahead and uh, head to Trade Secrets and hit subscribe and send us an email if you want at TradeSecrets at TravelWeekly.com.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And Emma, beyond the podcast, uh, what's the best place for people to find and uh, follow you?
1: You can send me an email if you want to reach out. I'm E Weissman with two S's and two N's at travelagewest.com. And on Instagram, I'm Emma underscore in route, uh, the French way, E-N-R-O-U-T-E. <laughs> and I will follow you back and look at, looking forward to connecting there.
0: Awesome. Uh, Jamie, how can people get connected with you?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can shoot me an email anytime. It's jbeseda at travelweekly.com. A lot of vowels in there. If you just go to travelweekly.com and click any of my articles, you'll see my name. And you can find me on Instagram. I am at thusjamiesaw.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, before I let you go, we have some questions we ask all our guests. And these are just for fun. So no pressure. Shoot from the hip. It's the lightning round. So are you guys ready?
1: Oh, gosh, I have bad experiences with this, Brian, but Uh, let's try it.
0: (laughs) I I promise I'll I'll go easy on you. Uh, Emma, is it a window seat or an aisle seat for you?
1: Aisle seat. I have bathroom anxiety, so that's an easy one for me.
0: (laughs) I feel that. What about you, Jamie?
1: Window seat all the way. If
2: I'm not in a window, something has gone horribly wrong.
0: (laughs) So you don't have strong feelings about this, do you? No, not at all. (laughs) All right. Uh, Emma, what's something in your carry on that you wouldn't travel without? And you can't say your cell phone charger.
1: Okay. So a lot of people give me grief for this. um, But I have this little bag that I call it my pharmacy, Emma's pharmacy. Mm. And it has like Pepto Bismol and um, Jamie's laughing at me, Dramamine and (laughs) some NyQuil if I really need to pass out. So I always bring a lot of meds with me, but only Mm. if I need them, I'll use them. But I always feel like it's good to be prepared that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jamie, what about you?
1: I'm only
2: laughing because I also travel with a pharmacy. Um, But I think my go-to would actually be my iPad because I read a lot um, and I probably couldn't carry very comfortably the number of books that I would need for even just, you know, a week long trip. So mm. I put them all on my iPad digitally.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Full disclosure. I have the pharmacy as well, although it's a bunch of yeah. loose, um, loose packets and pills. And at this point, I probably <laughs> should throw it out and start over because <laughs> it's, you know, they're expired and I don't know what's what anymore, but
1: we all need a pharmacy. We never know what's going to crop up when you're on the plane or when you're in the destination, but you're not, you know, reunited with your checked bag yet. You, you need it for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. Emma, if you had a free airline pass and a week off work, where would you be headed next?
1: Oh, that is a good question. Uh, Actually, it's a place I've already been, uh, Japan. Mm. I love Japan. I love the food. I love the culture. Last time I was there, I only explored a small part of it and it was uh, not the normal tourist sites, which I still want to see. So I would say probably headed back to Japan.
0: Yeah. Cool. What about you, Jamie?
2: I mean, I'd like to go to Japan with Emma too, but I think my top (laughs) pick right now would probably be India. I'd want to visit Mm. some spice farms.
0: Sounds amazing. All right, last question. Uh, What's something that you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and do again with somebody you love?
1: I think mine would be Uh, in 2020, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with my family, my dad and my brother. Mm. And the whole time I was there, I just thought, I want to share this experience with someone else. I want to go back and do it again. So my plan now is to take my boyfriend, but uh, maybe down the line, if we have kids to take my kids, it's a lot of work and preparation, but it is such a life-changing and transformational experience that I just, I got to do it again sometime in my life.
0: Yeah. Sounds
2: awesome. Jamie? I don't know how I could follow up Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to say I'm really looking forward to getting out in the world more with my daughter, who's 15 months old now. Took her on the prerequisite trip to Disney, but I would really just like her to do basically anything I've done with me. I think it's we just have a great travel future ahead of us.
0: Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. You, you certainly do. You both have lots to look forward to. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and uh, look forward to running into you guys, uh, over the next few years as we go about doing our thing.
1: Likewise. Thanks so much, Brian. This has been really fun. I had, I had notes that I threw out the window and (laughs) it, it just felt like a great conversation amongst friends. So thanks so much for having us on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jamie and Emma as much as I did. You know, I think it's always helpful to connect with folks who are young professionals because they have a different view on an industry than those of us who have been working in the same field for a decade or two or longer than that. I want to hit a few things that they said again, just to make sure you don't miss them, because I think they had some really interesting insight for those of us who work in group travel. You know, Jamie said that people in general, and especially millennials, want to connect with another person who is an expert in a destination. They love expertise and they seek it out. She said people want to work with people who know what they're talking about. Now that obviously presents an opportunity for travel advisors, but it presents an opportunity for you as well as a group leader, as a volunteer travel planner, as a tour company owner or operator. Because if people value expertise and they value experience, well, you are the right person to deliver that. So if you are shy about leaning into the experience and the expertise that you offer to people, well, you're actually not serving your customers as well as you could because they crave that expertise. They wanna know where you've been. They wanna know what you like on a trip. They want to know that when they travel somewhere, they're going with an expert. And the uh, experience is going to be expertly crafted. Jamie also said a travel advisor can help troubleshoot when things go wrong. You know, if you are a travel planner, the more complex a trip is, the more opportunities there are for things to fail, for things to go wrong, for you to get in over your head. And this is another great argument for working with other professionals on complicated trips. Now that might mean working with a tour operator. It might mean working with a travel advisor who has connections to a number of different tour companies and can get you the right seats on the right product with the right operator, whatever it means though. It's so critical that when you are doing uh, something that is big, something that is outside of your expertise, something that's just beyond your reach that you do it with somebody who can help you troubleshoot when those things do go wrong. I also loved some of the things they had to say about social media and the role of influencers in helping people, and particularly millennials, choose vacation and travel destinations. Now, Emma said that social media is still a huge driver for younger generations, but she said they want to know where to go, but they want to know where other people aren't going. In other words, uh, these people are looking to social media to give them insight that they're not getting from mainstream sources. So they're more interested in where a friend or an influencer is going, uh, that they're not seeing maybe in TV commercials that they're not hearing their parents and grandparents talk about. They're looking for those off, uh, the beaten track places. And that's where a travel company can make really smart use of social media to highlight places that, uh, millennials aren't hearing about in other ways. And if you can provide them some insights, some inspiring images or videos or intelligence you might just be able to capture their attention and maybe even their business but you're not going to do that by showing them pictures of the things that everybody else shows them pictures of instead it's going to be showing them things that are unique memorable and authentic you know along those same lines jamie said that uh, she's hearing from travel advisors that their clients aren't really responding to pretty pictures from suppliers anymore instead she said they're really responding to the photos and videos they take that are less polished and feel more real. Now this is a great takeaway for you too, no matter whether you're leading groups uh, individually or you run a whole tour company, not everything that you put out there has to be perfect. It doesn't have to look perfect. It doesn't have to be professionally photographed. It doesn't have to come from a supplier. In fact, more and more people recognize those over polished images and videos when they see them and they can actually be a turn off. So don't be afraid to whip out your phone and take some snapshots or some videos as you go even if they don't look professional, the fact that they don't look professional may actually lend more credibility to what you're trying to say and help you make more impact with your audience. Great stuff there from Jamie and Emma. Okay, so before the interview, I told you that I had some more thoughts about the role that wireless internet plays in travel, and that's the topic of today's Hot Minute. Yeah, that's right the hot minute is the part of the show where i take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on an issue impacting travel every day uh, today i have some thoughts on wi-fi and specifically the way wi-fi works or doesn't work on motor coaches so let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it okay motor coach companies if delta can make free high-speed wi-fi available fleet-wide Why can't you make it available on your motor coaches? You know, sadly, there are a lot of motor coaches that still don't have Wi-Fi. And a lot of the ones that do don't have good Wi-Fi or it doesn't even work at all. Now, I'd say about half of the coaches that I've been on over the past five years have had poor or malfunctioning Wi-Fi. Sometimes it's so slow, it's basically useless. Sometimes the password doesn't work. Sometimes uh, it just doesn't connect to the web. Sometimes the Wi-Fi works for certain kinds of devices, but not others. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to invest in putting Wi-Fi on your motor coaches, you might as well make that investment worthwhile by ensuring that the Wi-Fi actually works. Making sure your staff knows how to operate it, making sure they know how to troubleshoot it. Here's the thing. When high-speed Wi-Fi works on a motor coach, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, When it doesn't work, it's just frustrating. Now that's how I see it. Of course, you are welcome to disagree and we can still be friends. And agree, disagree, whatever you think, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address and you never know, your thoughts or questions might just be the topic of the next hot minute. And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a favor? Go to your podcast app of choice and give us a rating. Give us a review. If you haven't subscribed already, hit that subscribe button and you will have my thanks for that. Uh, My thanks as well to Emma Weissman and Jamie Beseda. on the next episode of Gather and Go. I'm going to bring you an awesome conversation with Andre Marable of the Pack Road Trip Travel Club. Andre is a young tourism entrepreneur who has built a thriving group travel company with, get this, Gen X and millennial customers. And he's going to tell us about how he has used smart marketing and social media to do that. It's a conversation you won't want to miss. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com.